Legal discussion on tip today is brought to you in association with Lynch Solicitors Clan Mel on the web at lynchsolicitors.ie and at divorceinireland.com. And joining me from Lynch Solicitors is uh, Gillian O'Mahony. Good morning to you, Gillian. Good morning, Fran. Nice to see you today. You're going to talk to us today about accidents at uh, work. And I'm just wondering, when somebody uh, presents themselves to you and uh, to talk to you about this, I mean, what what is the first thing you look for from them? Well, there are a number of things that we do first. And I suppose for us, the most important thing initially is kind of information gathering. And I would always look for photographs as to what caused the accident, if it's an accident in work, was it a machine that broke, was it if it was an accident in a public place, what caused them to trip. And the reason being is that by by the time the case may get on for hearing, that may have been fixed because if it's an employer situation, they obviously may not want other employees to be injured in the same way. Um, I've had a number of cases this year where we've gone for engineering inspections to look at something and something quite different has been presented to us than what caused the accident. Now, this is not always necessarily sinister. You know, people may have rectified it. There may be different management. But having photographs in that case is very useful and we can show, we can say, look, this is actually a photograph that was taken a couple of weeks after the accident. This is a photograph that was taken the day after the accident. So you could show the difference. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, you know, so the preservation of evidence. I would always ask clients as well to do a statement, a written detailed statement as to the accident, their, you know, what happened on the day, step by step, as much information because memory fades over mm. time. Mm. And if it's done immediately following the accident, that's a document that they can always refer back to. Because again, if it's two years later, by the time they get on for hearing, they may not remember all of the details of if course, they're asked yeah. to recall it. And I presume there will be some sort of management report about an accident anyway. So Yes, absolutely. So, you know, that would be a matter for the employer. If yeah. it's an accident in work, they will have to fill out their accident report form. They presumably will have to report it to their um, insurers. Yeah. So and it's very important that your, your angle on what happened is, exactly, is there. Exactly. Yeah. And your, your client may also have to make an statement as part of the, you know, the accident at work um, mm. complaint or incident report form as yes. well. So it's just, it's important to have all the information collated. Right. So if you do have an accident, now I know you're probably picking yourself up and you're trying to mind yourself on one thing or another, but it is important for people to know that if you can take a photograph or get somebody else to take a photograph, yes, absolutely. It, it will be. And as well as talking to the per, you know, our client taking a statement, we would also seek to talk to witnesses as early as possible. You know, the same issues arise, memory fades over time, and we would take a statement from mm. them as early as possible. And I suppose when somebody has an accident, their priority should not be taking photographs. Obviously, their priority is looking after of themselves. Of course, yes. But once that's done, you know, and if a legal case is contemplated, photographs are very useful. We're hearing an awful lot lately about private investigators uh, featuring in cases whether they're hired by the uh, insurance company or, or, or whatever. Have you come across that? I have indeed. And I suppose private investigators have featured in cases for many years, going back 10, 15 years. You know, we've had private investigators in cases, you know, that against us or whatever. But it's probably more prevalent now with social media and people mm. posting their entire lives on Facebook. And again, the information that private investigators obtain may not be necessarily damaging dependent on how you present your case. So if, for example, somebody has injured themselves and they set out in their court documents, in their personal injury summons, I was an avid runner and I can't run anymore. 
and then the PI goes out and finds them running, well, that's that's fatal. That's absolutely detrimental. You know, you shouldn't be out running. You know, right. you shouldn't be saying you're out. You're not able to run if you're out running. You know, but if it's a case where somebody says, "I used to run a lot more than I am now able to run." And the PI catches them out running. Well, that's that's not a problem because right. they they are saying that they're running. It's just more limited. Exactly, in exactly. Oh, so people have to be very yeah. careful. Or golf is one. You know, if somebody has a shoulder injury and they say, "I'm not able to play golf anymore," and the PI catches them playing golf. Again, you know, if they are playing golf, you need to say in your court documents, "I am not playing golf to the same extent that I previously did." I mean, the PIs are out. You know, their aim is to try and catch you doing something you shouldn't be doing. Yes, they're hired by the insurance company. Companies and you know people posting stuff for themselves in the gym, weightlifting, jumping a parachute out of a plane. You know that's all problematic. Very interesting. And does social media stand up as proof? Well, yes, because the the private investigator will prepare a report to court and they will exhibit in it what they what they see. You know, so wow. presumably some it's put to somebody then in the witness box. You know, is this a picture of you jumping out of the plane? And they say yes. Well, then it's gone in as evidence. Right. Which court hears a case like that then? I mean... Yes, so the court that we choose to bring your case in, somebody's case in, will depend on the amount of compensation you're looking for. So if we decide that the value of a case is is less than €15,000, we issue district court proceedings. If we believe a case is worth between fifteen and 60000 we issue circuit court proceedings. And if, if we believe a case is worth more than 60000 we issue high court proceedings and now these are de- these are decisions that we don't take lightly because obviously there may be cost penalties or implications if you issue proceedings in a high court which ultimately means you're looking for compensation of more than 60,000 but the court ultimately gives you less than 60,000 you may be penalised in costs and you may be responsible for the costs of the defendant the additional costs okay. that they incurred by you bringing the case in a higher court so, that's, that's very interesting so, yeah. so making that decision is, is yes. vital we are, you know we, we make sure that we bring it in the right jurisdiction so as to protect our clients yeah. against now, cost now of course we hear about the, the famous steps of the court where Mm. so much business seems to be done. Is that the case? I mean, does something have to end up in court? Um, I would say the vast majority of cases do settle. So if they don't settle before your hearing date, so a case is assigned a hearing date, there would be many stages of points along the whole process where a case could settle. If you had, um, let's say, a case which would involve quite a number of witnesses travelling from the UK, particularly a medical negligence case, if the defendants were interested in talking, trying to settle it, we as plaintiffs are always interested in trying to settle it. Mm. So it's really whether the defendants say, yes, we think we're in trouble here, we want to try and settle this. Um, They would typically then invite you for settlement talks perhaps a couple of weeks before the hearing date so as to minimise costs with regards experts travelling from the UK. Um, If that doesn't happen, settlement talks break down, it doesn't settle... You know, then the the day of the hearing case, the day of the hearing cases regularly set, settle just before you go into court. Mm. There's the alternative of mediation, though. Is there is there a form of mediation that might make the decision for you? Yes. Well, mediation doesn't involve anybody making the decision as such. A mediator is involved to try and help both parties resolve yes. the issue. So the mediator is as such a negotiator, and you know the courts now do appoint mediators. You know you can 
can have court-appointed mediation to try and resolve it. Mm. I often wondered uh, about the how the settlement talks uh, work. I mean, if if you make the decision to to go first and say, "Listen, I want to settle it," does that put you on the on the back foot in some way? No. So, I suppose the the standard procedure is you've settlement talks. Our client, you know, clients always ask me this: Am I going to be questioned by the legal team on the other side? And no, at settlement talks. Your, our client will only talk to their own legal team. They won't be meeting anybody else. It'll be the two legal teams going, you know, speaking to each other and going back to their respective clients. Um, so that's the way, that's essentially the way the talks work. And the person bringing the case, so the plaintiff, really has to go has to make the first approach and that's kind of the standard scenario. The person bringing the case goes to the other side and says right, I want 100,000 for this case and then they come back with what their offer is and I suppose normally the way it pans out is both parties' first offer is not anywhere near what their ultimate instructions may be. Right, it's interesting, isn't it? And what exactly is the compensation for? Okay, if I break my leg, I'm compensated for the initial break, I presume. But all the other things that surround I mean, I'm going to be out of work. Mm -hmm. It might emotionally have some sort of effect Mm -hmm. on me because Mm -hmm. I might be able to do my favourite hobby or whatever. So what do you take into account there? So the courts have the power to award what are called general damages. So general damages are money for pain and suffering to date. So that is the pain and suffering if somebody had to undergo an operation because they fractured their ankle and they needed surgery because of that. That is all general damages for pain and suffering to date. If your medical reports say, right, this lady is going to have ongoing pain for the next 10 years or ongoing low level pain for the rest of their life, that then is also further general damages compensation that they can get. So pain and suffering into the future. So add both of those together, you get your compensation for general damages. On top of that, then you're entitled to special damages so that you're out of pocket expenses. So that does not include legal costs, that's separate. So special damages would be your loss of earnings, your medical expenses, pharmacy expenses. Um, If you needed aids and appliances, you know, if it was a significant injury, if you needed assistance in the home, that would all form part of the special damages figure. It's interesting, isn't it? And what what if I, I, I say, look, I mean, this has caused me depression and uh, I'm, I'm sitting in the house and I can't get out now in the way that I used to do. Is that taken into account? Yes, you, you're entitled to be compensated for what's called a psychiatric injury or psychological injury if it's a recognised psychiatric condition. So in those cases, if somebody tells me, right, I'm suffering from this psychological or psychiatric mm. illness or because of the accident, we would get a report from a psychiatrist or a psychologist and they would have to make a diagnosis and if that diagnosis falls within a recognised psychiatric illness or disease, well then you're entitled to general damages for that injury. We often hear about this infamous book of quantum at this point. I mean, does that put a price basically on on injury? It does indeed, yes. Literally everything from the fracture of your baby toe to the loss of your, you know, if you had um, the loss of your middle finger an ankle fracture, it deals with everything. 
it doesn't adequately deal with psychological or post-traumatic stress right, disorder, but, but physical injuries, yes. But, uh, and I think I might have said this to John before, I mean, if if I lose my finger and I'm a... I, a concert know, pianist as concert opposed pianist. to... Yeah, yes, I yes. Mean, the, so that can't cope with that, obviously. Well, no, not, you know, the Book of Quantum doesn't cope with every single scenario, but it does give what's called a range of figures. So the right. range could be and I'm plucking figures out of the air here now, the range could be for one particular injury 20,000 to 60,000. So obviously if it's affecting you more than right. it would somebody else, you'd be at the higher end of the book. But the you know they may even go above that. Yes, because it could wipe out somebody's career and if it was a particularly promising career. Yes, but that would then probably be more properly dealt with in loss of earnings. Ah, right. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's all very interesting indeed. Do you get a lot of uh, workplace accidents? We do, we do, we do, we do. Yes, we do, indeed. All right. Uh, Gillian, thanks very much indeed. Lovely to see you as usual. Thank you, Fran. Thanks very much indeed. Gillian O'Mahony there of Lynch Solicitors.